32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United Ireland. Nearly, nearly. Uh, what's going on, Andrea? Well, Una, as you may know, we usually take a county. We dive into that issue relevant to that county and then we see where in the world that little issue brings us. We have been covering a lot of pandemic related or pandemic impacted issues of late. So we thought this week, even though we're all taking things slow, we're going to take a breath. That's right. Uh, The pace has been kind of crazy, I think, for a lot of people recently. We've been making our podcasts and all that kind of stuff. And also our new Sunday Soothe patron only project has inspired us to take a bit of a breath and use this podcast to talk about some lockdown learnings. to all our new friends and by friends I mean patrons what a joy it is to have your support um, not just during this time but as we hopefully grow and change and evolve in the content we're making we are having a ball and from the feedback we're getting so are you and it is being is being useful to you so that is all we ever wanted when we started this as well as that we have the Sunday Soothe we are going into episode three on that this Sunday um, and um, we have had such good feedback on that um, which is really not surprising because we thought about it long and hard didn't come up with it on one day and then go we'll try this and see what happens so glad to see that that is working and doing its job on a Sunday because this is all very, every day you kind of think that you found your stable ground. You just lose footing for no particular reason. So hopefully the Sunday Soothe is just going to provide some little bit of stability every Sunday to kick off the week with a bang. We do have even more to be offering you this week. Can you cope? I feel like we're just giving so much, but that is because we are getting so much from you. So this week, next week, next week, we are going to launch the United Ireland scavenger hunt. I am so excited about this. Are you so excited about it? I'm incredibly excited because I love games. I love setting people tasks and then watching the drama unfold. But this is going to be such a fun real world activity with brill treats and prizes for people who are going out there scavenging on our little scavenger treasury uh, hunt that is going to be glorious. So what is going to be involved is because we are, we did talk about maybe we should do a United Ireland quiz where we like challenge people on all that they've learned from our uh, county facts. And then maybe we should do a live and then maybe, and then the more and more we thought about it, we were like, we're just not into the screen vibes. Uh, we love an in real life moment. So we put our heads together. We brainstormed, we brainstormed some more. We didn't actually put our heads together. There was at least two meters. Um, and we came up with this scat, the United Ireland scavenger hunt. So we will be setting a task with a printout page of things you have to find in your five kilometer radius. So we waited till the two kilometer radius was lifted. So you have a bit more scope to get 
uh, the winning prizes that we will pro- be providing from the scavenger hunt. So stay tuned. It is going to be a riot. But Before we get into... Oh, go on. I was just going to say that. You go for oh, it. Right, okay, go. Before, Before we get into, we get into lockdown, lockdown learnings. <laughs> Let's catch up on events in Ireland this week with... The state of the nation. Bitch, I'm back. I'm popular the man. That's right. It's a government formation. It's heating up despite our best efforts to ignore it. Um, The Greens have assembled their crew, much like um, some kind of Marvel blockbuster that's never going to happen anymore, considering that there are no cinemas for the time being. And uh, they are in talks, kind of talks about talks, first round of talks about devising the programme for government. Um, They've agreed how those talks are going to happen. So that's the kind of little preparation moment that they've had. And now they're going to talk for a month, uh, which I'm sure would be great crack altogether. Uh, Catherine Martin, uh, who's the deputy leader of the Green Party, she's going to be leading up the team uh, that's going to be talking about government formation with uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. There's five of the Greens in. Um, and... Uh, she actually, it's an interesting choice now because she wasn't um, very enthusiastic at all about uh, going into coalition with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. So presumably she'll drive a harder bargain um, than other members who may have been a little more, um, shall we say... Power hungry. Uh, <laughs> sweating, okay, for the, yeah, cool. sweating for the power. That works. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Um, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, I mean, look, the Greens, I mean, I understand that people want to get their policies over the line. And I understand that, you know, the whole thing about like, well, there's no point to being a hurler on the ditch and you need to be in there and, you know, politics by pragmatism and you need to get things done, la la la. It is but a wet week. Well, a good few years. Yeah, um, I suppose the guts of a decade, really, since the Greens uh, were decimated uh, in a previous coalition um, with Fianna Fáil uh, when the entire arse fell out of the country's economy. Um, Is that long enough time to pass for a lesson to be learned? Will they get burned again? Um, Certainly enough time passed for voters uh, to kind of give the Greens another chance um, primarily y- younger voters uh, you know who who wouldn't have actually voted in 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 uh back uh in those kind of mid boom elections so um who knows what will happen now one of the things i just want to say before we move on to other state of the nation things is ha- what does annoy me actually about the rhetoric surrounding um the Greens and government formation, is the way Green Party politicians are interviewed in the media. So I was randomly listening to Eamon Ryan on with Pat Kenny the other morning and they're talking about loads of different things and just this attitude that a lot of kind of journalists and broadcasters have about... um Like they hone in on small details with Green Party politicians that aren't necessarily relevant. So it's always like this kind of like cynical or 
not piss takey, but it's like a weird kind of attitude where they kind of journalists and broadcasts obsess over like trivial or more trivial green things like what they eat, what they wear, whether they cycle to work, whether they have po- solar panels on the roof of their houses. Do they use biodiesel or do they have electric cars? Do they like wolves? La la la. And it seems to be about like simultaneously making fun of them and also trying to identify hypocrisies based on their ideologies and based on kind of what, you know, these kind of very rudimentary understandings of green things. But no one ever talks to Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael politicians about that. Nobody ever links their political ideologies or lack thereof to personal behaviours or their kind of trappings. No journalist, when they're ever interviewing a Fine Gael politician, asks them what car they drive or what companies they have shares in. Nobody asks Fianna Fáil politician how many houses they own. You know, it just kind of annoys me. So I just thought I'd say that, that we're going to be also in for a really annoying um, media and that media narrative, um, not too dissimilar from uh, people pointing out the type of seafood uh, Sinn Féin politicians <laughs> eat. Hey, what else is going on in the state of the nation? Uh, the legal search yeah. has been cancelled, um, so which is every teenager's dream manifested, shall we say. How are they, go- how, how do, how are they going to figure out if they get into college? So combo of predictive marking and uh, stuff that's already been done, um, you know, project-based stuff. I would absolutely hate that because... A, I didn't do all the projects you were meant to do in school and I then would prepare because I knew I had an exam. So the goalposts have completely moved. And I think um, also if you have a bad relationship with teachers, there's like an awful lot of uh, pressure for you to kind of have to lick up to the teachers to try and get a good grade or something. It just, it's not, I don't know. I don't know if that's the solution. Yeah, I think one of the good things about state exams, even though they're overdue a massive, you know, rethink and overhaul is that they do remove those biases that you might experience in school um, with relationships with teachers or with teachers kind of um, presumptions about you, assumptions about you. Um, Yeah. And I think a lot of people have those experiences that what they're doing throughout the year or in the mocks are very different to what ends up happening in the exam. Like, if I cast my mind back 50 million years to my own LC, <laughs> um, I failed a bunch of stuff in the mocks. Like I remember failing maths really badly, which t- I think means you kind of fail your leaving cert overall, doesn't it? Um, I think I failed chemistry as well. Probably a couple of other things. Um, I had been kicked out of my English class um, for a time. So my relationships with a lot of teachers were not great. And um, I think that would have really counted against me. And that ended up flipping totally in, in the actual exam. So, yeah, I think I probably would have been in serious trouble. Um, you'd have to think that these kind of, like the format or whatever it's going to ultimately be, you know, you'd, you'd worry that it would kind of discriminate against um, students that are in more complex scenarios, students that are in schools that are less resourced. Um, You know, you never know how you're going to do in the day of an exam, really, if you've put some kind of work in, you can get real lucky with a question, even if you haven't done the work on other parts of it. So it seems to be quite unfair. I'm also like not sure why the Department of Education spent two months 
seemingly faffing on this. Um, Joe McHugh as the minister has been quite poor. And I just can't, I, I just can't kind of shake the fact that they were maybe trying to hope that it was going to happen? I don't know. I, I'm not sure how much like innovative thinking there is um, in the Department of Education. Um, there's often an abdication of responsibility with regards to schools, uh, you know, that, you know, it's all up to the individual school. So maybe when the department was put in a situation where it's like, actually, you need to sort this out, they maybe struggled a bit. Surely there would have been an oper- like some kind of, you know, leeway to do the exam in the community if, you know, a guardian or a parent or whatever signed a contract saying, I'll monitor the exam and, and just do it that way. And people could have rallied around students. It could have been a, a moment. I would definitely have cheated. <laughs> well, loads. I'm sure people would have. But like, I suppose if you do enter into some kind of contract, like it, it is... Um, uh, an offence to cheat in a leaving cert exam. Um, so the the severity of the situation is there. I just feel that a lot of people, um, for better or for worse, won't get their day out. Uh, that said, you know, this is an opportunity to radically overhaul what is a often very traumatic and stressful um, experience for young people. Uh, some, you know, and people have nightmares about this uh, period of time for the rest of their lives. It is kind of mental, though, that every single Irish teenager who, you know, dreamed about something being cancelled, that it's happening. And just, you know, in any other year, this would have been the biggest news story and it just goes to show uh, what a crazy time we're living in that it's just another thing the pandemic is doing. Otherwise in State of the Nation I just want to shout out to Simon Carswell and Jack Power and the Times doing really excellent reporting work in the nursing home crisis. They have a long read from last weekend's paper on St. Mary's Nursing Home at the Phoenix Park. It's well worth a read. Check it out. Um, and the other thing is we're not going <laughs> to go on too much about this, but Leo Varadkar's remarks in the Dáil about um, Sinn Féin politicians in the North dropping food parcels around the place and equating that to Trump in the Caribbean throwing toilet paper while uh, the Taoiseach's BFF, Owen Murphy, is out doing the same stuff in Ranla. Uh, with Meals on Wheels and fair play to Owen Murphy and it's not often that we say that but that is a kind act fair play to him for volunteering for the Taoiseach to turn around um, and talk about quote unquote the poor which is clearly a cohort that he never envisages himself becoming one of despite the fact that the poor in this country right now two months ago many of them had jobs and were making a living uh, I, I actually thought it was kind of, um, I thought it was kind of mad how he was speaking. It, it was really um, quite nasty and vindictive. What did you think about it? I think he is, if that was me, I would just be like, I'm fucking doing everything I fucking can. Would you give me a break? And obviously politics doesn't break for emotions and um, the fact that Mary Lou was calling for the covid to keep going was, he's like, we're trying to do all we can. So I can understand from a human place why he would have snapped and be like, and looked for weaknesses uh, to go back with. But at the same time, it was a really low shot. And I think, I think it just was an, an eruption of a volcano of just being like, I'm trying, I'm doing all I fucking can. 
am I being too nice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, us. I could definitely like hear the stress and strain in his voice. And and he did make that point when Mary Lou was going on about wages. And so he was like, we actually raise minimum wage and all that kind of stuff. And there are points to be made there. But it's a classic Leo thing, you know, he can rebut to a point and then he just can't help himself but go that bit mm. further and say something very regrettable. Um, so, yeah, he might want to have a word with Owen Murphy there if handing out food parcels is such a terrible thing to be doing. Um, I am sorry, though, that Deputy McDonald's chose to become so party political in their contributions because what she said was so two-faced and so fundamentally dishonest. My party, Fine Gael, never cut the minimum wage. Working with Labour and then with independence, we increased it by 25% to one of the highest in the world. What is the minimum wage in Northern Ireland where Sinn Féin is in power? In this jurisdiction, a government led by my party introduced a pandemic unemployment payment of €350 a week so that people who lost their jobs had some financial security. What happened in Northern Ireland where Sinn Féin is in office? £100 a week. Nothing for the self-employed until June. And Sinn Féin ministers on their Facebook site promote the fact that they hand out food parcels to the poor. Reminiscent to me of Donald Trump handing out toilet roll after the hurricane hit the islands in the Caribbean. Ah, yes, always the crack. Okay, Mm. now it's time for the Corona Correction. So the Corona Correction this week is a bit of a broad one. um, And it's kind of a lot of stuff that's happening that was kind of already happening which I think the pandemic is, that's a real kind of um, characteristic of the pandemic, exposing things that were kind of already happening. So for me, the Corona correction this week is, is part of the tech bubble that's overinflated by venture capitalist mania going to burst. Airbnb has laid off 25% of its staff. Commiserations to those who work for them, who may be in danger of losing their jobs. That is a terrible thing. But I think what it shows is how the valuations of these companies and their capacity to function and turn a profit is often very disconnected. James Ball in The Guardian had a really good piece about Deliveroo and Uber and just saying, you know, Deliveroo venture, you know, was the kind of the poster child uh, for venture capitalism. And now it's not looking so good. And he's basically making the, the, the point that Every customer in the delivery kind of Uber model actually loses you money. You know, it costs, um, like delivery lose money on every delivery and Uber lose money on every car ride. And you kind of think like, that's kind of mental. Like, how is that a business model? Which I think people ask about um, these kind of tech like companies all the time. And uh, this is what James Ball wrote. I'm just going to read out. When every customer loses you money, it's not good news for your business if customer numbers stay solid or even increase, unless there's someone else who believes that's a good thing. What these companies rely on is telling a story, largely to people who will invest in them. Their narrative is they're disrupting existing industries, will build huge market share and customer bases, and thus can't help but eventually become hugely profitable, just not yet. This is the entire venture capital model, the financial model for Silicon Valley and the whole technology sector beyond it. Don't worry about growing slowly and sustainably. Don't worry about profit. 
don't worry about consequences. Just go flat out, hell for leather, and get as big as you can and as fast as you can. It doesn't matter that most companies will try and fail, provided a few succeed. Valuations will soar. The company will become publicly listed, a procedure known as an IPO. And then the company will actually work out how to make a profit, in which case great. Or by the time it's clear it won't, the venture capital funds have sold most of their stake at vast profits and left regular investors holding the stock when the music stops. I think that this is a moment, uh, the the kind of pandemic moment is one where a lot of things are going back to reality in loads of different ways. And I do think that um, this uh, nonsense of, you know, massive valuations on these companies and VCs pouring money into long shot ideas uh, and then those companies actually being completely financially unsustainable is going to come home to roost. We've already seen it with WeWork before this. Um, Obviously, Airbnb is is very different because international travel is gone for the time being. Uh, Things around sharing economy, being in um, uh, shared spaces and all that kind of stuff. And that goes for Uber and Lyft and stuff as well. Very, very problematic when you have a contagious disease floating around. Um, and so I wonder now, is this kind of the era of the the instant unicorn and multi-billion dollar valuations for things that are actually hugely in debt, potentially over? What do you reckon, Andrea? One would hope and one would hope that we, as I preach all the time, that we go back to uh, to catering to our communities and to creating businesses that are sustainable and that are ethical and that are local and that are sent. And now the main part of our biz today. This is the Lockdown Learnings podcast and these are our Lockdown Learnings. So because the pandemic is always going on in the background, we want to instead give it some space today so we're not constantly pushing out episodes that acknowledging what's going on, even though obviously a lot of a lot of our stuff has been uh, very much doing that. Um, it's important to remember that we're living in, we're not living in a new normal. We're living in extraordinary times. And if we don't take a breath, then we're just kind of repeating uh, the same disruptive rhythms of BC times. So we want to just have a chat today about our lockdown learnings. And maybe you'll identify with some of these, maybe you might learn a bit yourself or have some to share too. Um, Andre, do you want to go first with your first lockdown learning that you've been I ruminating sure on? I will. My first lockdown learning is, or just something I've noticed, is the fact that summer has returned in April. Um, I can't remember seeing so many blue skies in a row. And it's gotten to the point now where if I wake up and there's a grey sky, I'm like, hey, what, what sort of weather is that? How am I meant to sunbathe in that? And I think I remember the last few years of just a lot of grey and being lucky to get like maybe five days of sun um, in a summer for like the last, I feel like it's maybe like the last seven years. It's just been so grey. And all of a sudden, there's just all these luscious greens against backdrops of blue and the two colours together just make my heart sore. And I just think it's bananas that it's happened there. That chimes with my uh, first lockdown learning as well around air quality. Um, And I think as well with regards to um, 
like that summer vibe. I, I I wonder as well, is it like perception versus reality? So I've been thinking an awful lot about air quality in Dublin, that this haze that was over, it seems to have been gone. When I walk in the Fino and I look across, you know, a vista and you see the mountains in the background, I find myself thinking, I don't think I've ever seen them so clear. Um, so loads of things around that make me think that, God, like maybe the air quality was much worse than we actually realised because we don't really think about air pollution in Ireland. But the other thing as well is like the colours of trees popping, as you're saying. Um, And again, yeah, that's about blue skies. It's about the haze lifting. But I wonder as well, is it actually about paying attention? And are we noticing things more because we're being a bit more in the moment um, because we are being more reflective. Um, we have had a couple of really hot summers, but I guess like April, May hasn't been so much. So it feels to me, them now, mind you, I'm generally away for most of the summers actually over the last few years, but it does feel that the colours and connecting with them are really, really popping in a different way and you even see it on people's Instagrams like all these photos of like flowers and trees and stuff it's an interesting thing so that's my first one um what else do you think Andrea they're called filters (laughs) (laughs) no you know what I mean (laughs) um the next thing is the overall realization by like the whole of society about the importance of different roles in society. So it feels like we've suddenly come to appreciate um, the people who work in retail places, the people who drive our public transport, the people who work in our hospitals, whereas before it was also blasé um, kind of, I want to succeed by climbing the corporate ladder and that makes me a better person. That kind of thinking seems to be being uh, eradicated somewhat and people there seems to be a greater appreciation for everybody's role that people play in society rather than just this old-fashioned view of success of being the big the big dick in the office with the ego and the big paycheck so I am really loving that and I think where there's even ads on um the television and they kind of rub me up the wrong way if I'm honest of like let's stand out and clap for our bus drivers and our healthcare workers and but at the same time the sentiment behind it I think is really nice and those ads are obviously playing a role in making people be more sentiment of uh, what these roles are and I think that that is really nice. Another of my lockdown learnings is about how we view artists, um, I think in multiple different ways. So um, I saw that the uh, other voices, Lisa Hannigan um, broadcast from the National Gallery, which was so amazing on Thursday night, was on the front page of the Irish Times on Friday. Obviously, there's loads of conversations at the start about, you know, we're turning to art, la la la. Um, But one of the things that makes me hopeful for the future, um, okay, so it's twofold. So first of all, realizing how burnt out an awful lot of artists are and that being asked to create um, can be a little bit detrimental and pressurized. Um, And so that like allowing artists a space to just ruminate and chill in this moment um, and that, you know, when a lot of things are being commissioned or whatever, like sometimes it's just as useful to like give them the money um, without without an ask. but then also like just the the reiteration to myself that the most important thing 
um, that enables a deadly art scene to flourish is cheap rent. And if like we have to stake a claim for creating a new Roaring Twenties arts wise and fundamental to that will be cheap rent. Whenever you look at all these cool scenes that emerge from wherever, like I was watching this um, Basquiat documentary the other night, Boom For Real and about like, you know, Lower East Side was in total bits and then all this stuff emerged or whatever. I'm not calling for like the disintegration of society and huge crime and like burning down buildings so that people can make whopper paintings but at the same time like fundamental to really really good stuff happening is cheap rent and hopefully um there will be a a a massive um you know decrease in rent on the other side of this as which will maybe a happy consequence of really bad economic uh, disruption but yeah, so I just keep thinking of that, like the cheaper the rent, the better the art, because it allows scenes to form and people have freedom to do what they want without being pummeled and stressed and uh, held cap- captive by bullshit rent from greedy landlords. Uh, another thing is the realization of how quickly a global supply chain can fall, which in essence then means the importance of local sourcing and production. And this kind of came clear to me from all the PPE stuff. And when, uh, we couldn't get our hands on any, I was like, could we not just make this here? Um, and I don't want to go down a big nationalist vibe on this, but we have decimated our manufacturing, um, industries there's no factories that are making um clothes at all in ireland or textiles and everything is outsourced and for a country that was so rich in the making of fabrics in tweeds in uh iron jumpers all the other stuff but also the more modern stuff the fact that we can't turn our hand and we've so many amazing designers that are a lot of the time aren't valued in Ireland but we've so many amazing designers we've so many people who can do the fact that we don't have this manufacturing role um I just always blows my mind the fact that I've gone looking at factories wondering what I open up a little knicker factory like in Carnation Street um I haven't quite gotten to that stage yet but um then that goes on to not just manufacturing of clothes, but of food. And as we've all turned our hand to being a bit more green fingered and personally, I've started growing courgettes and rocket and the connection to food becomes more real and how much we import when we have the potential to do it here ourselves. So I think, and as it gets more difficult, um, when we had the shutdown for things to be imported, that we should be maybe looking to um, figure out what we can do ourselves. Great points. Um, another thing that I'm learning is my fears about lockdown lifting. And these aren't just from a public health perspective, but I'm worried about a return to the way things were because I want to be different um, I want things to be different. I want to be different too, but I want things to be different um, because they were broken before. And so when I started, you know, as everybody was hearing about like, oh, Germany's opening back up and Denmark's opening back up, all I could think of was it's too soon, not just for containing the virus and like keeping the curve flattened, but just it's too soon in terms of have we learned the lessons we need to learn in this moment? Like, has the pause been long enough? So that's something that I'm kind of struggling with because as much as I want 
you know, to do the things that everybody else wants to do, like see my parents and hug my nieces and nephews and go to a gig um, and, you know, like, you know, all of those things and, and all of like my friends and who've lost their jobs. <clears throat> and I want that to like not be the case. And at the same time, I'm scared that will flip back to something that was really quite destructive. Destructive. So I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, I have always been thinking about the fact, well, not always, but uh, big, bigger isn't always better. Um, and how scaling isn't always the answer. And you touched on it earlier, but that how it is just as easy for big companies to fall as it is for small business. And so often um, when we are ascertaining success as just getting bigger and getting more premises and having more staff and having more profits that that can all be taken away as quickly as it can if you are just one unit who is sustaining um, a lifestyle for all your staff and doing lovely things and having it creating the life you want to live so I think it just always um, is worth remembering that you aren't um, infallible just because you've gotten bigger. One of the things I've learned as well, um, or relearned, because a lot of these are lessons to relearn, is the importance of local community. Um, a lot of people can, because of the rat race and all that kind of crack and just isolating themselves already are disconnected a little bit from their community. A lot of people aren't. But I, I do feel that this whole lockdown has given, gave um a like the opportunity for community to come out of the woodwork and that people would work together and that we would trade together and, you know, live together as a, as a community. And I think that that's something that we need to hold on to. And I also think that like we internalize a lot of the anti-Irish sentiment ourselves. Maybe it's like a hangover of colonialism or whatever, where people think, oh, we couldn't do that. Oh, that would be a disaster. We'd never be able to do that. You know, they'll throw all the Dublin bikes in the canal. We'll never have a smoking ban. Nobody will pay five cents for a plastic bag, whatever. Um, we, we play ourselves down a lot. But actually, when we're given the opportunity to be um, self-sustaining, um, we're really good at it because our community connections are still there and our empathy is really, really heightened as Irish people, I feel. And we want to do well. So I think that give give um, people in Ireland an opportunity to excel instead of exporting talent or, you know, playing ourselves down and we'll do it. And this is not bullshit you know pulling on the green jersey flu shirt stuff that's not what I'm into um it's also not like mindless patriotism or stupid jingoism or like we're the best country in the world like there's no such thing as the best country in the world it's not a competition but I do think that we have very very um healthy community connections and we have a disposition that is caring so we should really you know try and excel at that because we're really good at it um I've discovered I've discovered I feel like we're like on a like Miss World or something I've discovered how the small things really do spark joy and that has always been something I've always tried to focus on and by living with what you have but when we went into lockdown and blah blah, blah when it was possible to go and get a coffee that was the biggest 
buzz I had ever had, not ever had, but like, fine, it was a buzz, but like, (laughs) (laughs) but it was so exciting at the time. I was like, oh my God, I can get, go and get a coffee and ask someone, can I have a coffee and get a coconut flat white? And that just filled my day with joy for the whole day, getting a coffee, which is something I would do three times a day normally. Or like when I went to the post office with my sister and we were going to do the weekly shop and I was actually dancing in the queue in the post office, just like, oh, I'm having a ball. She's like, you're having a ball in the post office queue. And I was like, I'm just so delighted to be out. I can see people and like, it's just brilliant. And she's like, oh God, imagine when you get to a festival. I was like, I know, but like it was just the and the talking to people when you were giving them the letters, and I was just like, "Hi!" And I'd say they're like, "Oh my god, who is your one?" She is literally like sweating for the chat. But it was that it was again links into the community and the services and everything. It was just so I loved getting coffee. I just loved it. <laughs> Brill. Um, one thing that I've learned as well relearned, 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 knew all these things already, but they've just been driven home is um, with regards to the conversation around violence in the home. And um, obviously this disproportionately impacts women and all of these really, you know, terrifying uh, reports about the number of calls about um, people under threat of violence and experiencing violence in the home increasing so dramatically. Women's Aid have been really great in terms of, you know, highlighting this and asking for funding. I actually donated to to them last night when I was watching the Lisa Hannigan show because on the Courage stream and other voices. And um, just this constant reminder of like, when are we going to tackle violence in the home in general of all genders and specifically violence against women. Like this is the the pandemic that has existed um, for thousands of years. And on the other side of this, like we're going to have to take this seriously. And it's not just about positioning women as victims. Like people have been doing so much work for generations and generations and generations to try and somehow, you know, highlight and stop violence against women um, and also violence in the home against men too and violence against people of all genders um, and all gender expressions. But it just feels to me like, you know, at what point are we going to bring everyone together to teach men in particular and for men to teach each other that things aren't acceptable? Um, and it, and it, re- it upsets me when I think about it. But I just feel that hopefully that it's highlighted and it's highlighted through fucking terrible shit of people's experiences in this moment that will hold on to how fundamental this is to having a fair and equal society to remove threats and violence against people. The biggest problem in the world is always bullies. And we need to tackle bullying of all kinds, Um, bullies that end up in leadership roles, bullies that fuck people over in the workplace and bullies on the street and bullies in the home, bullies in politics, everything. So we need to hold that uh, to be fundamental on the other side of this. Um, and I just hope again that, you know, there's the still here resources, still here.ie that have mapped resources around Ireland. If you are in immediate threat, danger of violence, do call 999 or 112. Um, donate to Women's Aid if you can. And um we have to bring this conversation forward into a new safe world for everybody. I would just add to that to maybe watch herself as well. 
It was an extremely harrowing story, but it is worth definitely worth a watch. Uh, my next thing would be the realization that the future is so uncertain and realizing that it has always been and that we have to embrace the power of now. And all we have is all we have is this moment. And there's no point in thinking that I will be happy when I get this, or I will be happy when this happens, or I can't live my life until I do this, or I have to lose weight till I do this, or any of those things. The only thing you have to bring happiness to your life is now. And if you can manage to bring happiness, and happiness might not be the right word, contentment, acceptance, all of those things, you have to do it now and not wait for the future for those things to happen because you don't know what's going to happen in the future and you don't know if you'll be able to do those things and you can't put everything on hold until that happens. You have to um, take where you are and find the positive in that. And that is, again, I always think that's a little bit privileged, but also it was, um, you can't wait till you get somewhere else. You have to appreciate where you are now and find out how to make that moment shine. Brill. My final lockdown learning is really kind of a prediction and a hope. I do think that there is going to be a youth-led social revolution on the way. Another one, um, considering how um, ridiculously unpopular this government is going to be, how negatively impact young people will be in terms of employment opportunities, um, how high the youth unemployment rate will be, how there will be no pressure valve of emigration uh, to draw on so that we can export a live register. All of these things sound really negative, right? However, all of that equals a young population who will want change, who will want to continue to mould um, an equitable, adventurous, ambitious, sustainable Ireland um, with their fucking dreams and ideals and with their ideas. And it's going to be really hard. It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be really intense on the other side of this. We're in this weird pandemic holding pattern where, you know, economies are crumbling outside of our windows, but it's kind of very difficult to conceptualize that right now. Um, and what, what economic doom is on the other side of this is very, very overwhelming. But we have built the tools to change our society for the better. Those learnings are now embedded in how we move through this society. And I think that uh, that's going to be an unbelievable um, rising of uh, positivity and of, you know, freedom and equity um, is going to happen through trauma and difficult things and through, you know, economic destruction and all of that kind of stuff. But I have faith in our deadly, brilliant power as a collective, as a community, as a rocking society. And I know that we're going to once again rebuild a Whopper Ireland. As they say in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, up from the ashes of disaster grow the roses of success. Yep.
What's getting in the sea this week, Andrea? I believe it is two words. It's a very simple one this week. Johnny Ronan. Excellent work. And now our fave <laughs> bits. What are your fave bits this week? My fave bits this week are, first up, Hollywood, the series on Netflix, Ryan Murphy's new show. It is an absolute feast of beauty for your eyes. It is so, like he just has the most stunning cinematography and costumes and it's just so glam. Uh, there are some problems uh, within it and there's been a lot of written about I suppose, glamorizing the problems of Hollywood of the past and rewriting a story uh, for people who weren't able to be in Hollywood of the past to maybe give them the opportunity, but what that brings with it. So I feel like it's one of those programs, if you cast all the issues aside, it's really good. But then the conversations that come from the issues. Anyway, I really enjoyed it. Avis is my favorite new character in the world. She is a glam woman who's um, an older woman. She's a leopard print lover. She knows what she wants. Uh, She's a sexual being. I love her. Um, So I would definitely say give Hollywood a watch. I'm only one and a half episodes in and I've seen um, a lot of people very emotional by the end of it. So I'm I can't wait to watch it and see what happens. Um, My other favorite bit is Grace and Perry's Art Club on Channel 4. It's on episode three now. You can watch back on all four online. Um, I just love Grace and Perry and what he gets up to and what he stands for and what he highlights and how he challenges uh, what it is to be a man. And I love art. So it's literally a joy-filled watch um, something else that is a joy-filled watch is Sophie Alice Baxter's Kitchen Disco. Um, she is doing these live um, kitchen discos on Instagram where she performs in her sitting room with flashing lights, disco lights and her kids just bopping around. And it's just joy personified. And she has been putting the recordings on YouTube so you can watch them back. And if you want to just have a bop around the kitchen, which who doesn't want to do that? It's something nice to have on in the background or watch fully, whatever you want. I won't tell you how you take your culture or your content. You do it as ever you like. And my final fave bit, and it's just my fave, fave bit in the world is sunbathing. The joy of being able to sunbathe in Ireland and to feel the rays on my face. It just is glorious and I can't get enough of it with loads of factor. They're great fave bits. My fave bits this week, Doc and Roll. Doc, D-O-C-N, RollFestival.com. 28 music documentaries available to stream. You have to pay a few quid for each one, but there's some really, really good stuff on there. Check it out. My other fave bit, um, The Last Dance, the uh, Netflix documentary series on Michael Jordan and the 90s era Chicago Bulls. Very good, I must say. And finally, my third fave bit this week, Walsh's in Stony Batter in Dublin, which is one of my favourite pubs, is now delivering Guinness. Now, I had been ordering pints of Guinness from Granger's Hanlon's Corner and they just kind of, someone spins around and gives them to you. But I walked past the Hanlon's van delivering in Stony Batter last night when I was walking out to look at the supermoon. And uh, they have the keg in the van. So like they come around to your gaff and just like pour the pints there and it's like no contact and you get the pints. So if you like Guinness and if you live in the D7 area, 
don't order them because I don't want there to be a long queue or for it to take ages. But I'm just letting you know that they're there. And of course, do order them because I will too. Things to do this week, Andrea? Um, the first thing to do this week is on Sunday, it is a bank holiday in the UK and Homo Electric are putting on a show called Stay Homo, which is a 12 hour rave, um, which features artists performing such as Roisin Murphy, the Queen, the Black Madonna, Crystal Clear, who you can listen to his episode two episodes ago, Horsemeat Disco. And it is this Sunday from 12 midday to 12 midnight. So pop onto Homo Electric's Instagram to get this, the link. Another thing on this week is Veda is back. Um, Witchy Wednesday, um, all our fave alt queens on Wednesdays. So it's live from Veda's Instagram and it's a very joy to have them back. And also, this is your thing to do this week. Gonna take it away. Yeah, uh, Hacienda Legendary Manchester Club, uh, defunct for a long time, obviously. They're doing a virtual party um, on Saturday the 9th. So um, it's the Hacienda House Party Part 2, a 12-hour session of uh, like classic Hacienda vibes. Um, so if you basically just Google that, you'll find the stream. It's on unitedwestream.co.uk, but just Google it away and have a little Hacienda weekend for yourselves. You know the deal by now. Keep your distance. Keep washing your hands. Keep your sneezes contained. Keep yourself at home. Wear, keep a mask on outside. And what was the other one we added last week? Keep not being a dick. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not catchy. What's this week? What's this week's tuna chicken roll? This week's tuna chicken roll is a classic. Well, it's not really a classic. Crazy pea eruption. It is perfect for bopping around in the sun and hopefully it will act like a sun dance and keep the sun here so we can keep bopping. Enjoy. I've been Una. I've been Andrea. Those were our lockdown learnings. And we are... United Ireland. 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 United Ireland.
of you. 